Hello and welcome to another The Analysis Interview podcast uh, with Total Football Analysis. My name is David Seymour and today I'm delighted to be joined by Matthew Pearson, who is a first team analyst at Wolves. Um, normally what I'd like to do here, Matt, is to get the guests to introduce themselves because I've had far too many experiences of me uh, just getting it completely wrong. So it'd be great to get a little bit of background on yourself and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and thanks for having me on. Uh, it's nice to, to get the invite and be able to speak about uh, things, all things analysis, really. Uh, so I, I kind of started off um, playing, obviously, as a youngster, then did a YTS professional football club, then went on from there. Didn't make it as a pro, so went on from there into kind of the the coaching and university route. Uh, went to John Moore's University, did the science of football degree. And while I was there, I was doing uh, some coaching and some analysis at various places and ended up working at Blackburn Rovers Academy, uh, coaching within the, the academy teams, also kind of leading the analysis for the 16s and 18s. From there, I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to go and work in the Middle East in Qatar, Aspire Academy, uh, which is their national sports academy. So kind of working within the analysis within the sports science and football department over there, so spent a number of years out there working with the Aspire teams and then with the youth national teams all the way up to the, the Qatar senior team and working kind of for the, the Asian Cup qualifiers, Gulf Cups and World Cup qualifiers. Um, so it was quite a, a, a rounded experience in terms of age groups worked with. And then following that, coming back to the UK, um, ended up in the Midlands um, working at Wolves, initially with the academies, head of the academy analysis. And then since... I think the start of uh, Nuno's range was probably three seasons ago, I guess it would be. Um, kind of moved up to the first team and started working a bit more within the, the first team analysis department. So, what I mean, what was your first introduction to analysis? How much did you experience what, what we see as football analysis uh, when you were YTS? Not a huge amount. Um, I'm going back quite a long time now, so it was pretty basic. I think analysis in the last probably five or ten years has really exploded and become a discipline in its own right. I think going back then, it was probably more that it was very much the coach who could use a little bit of technology would would kind of lead on it and deliver things. So it was, it was pretty limited. It was pretty basic. You, you're lucky if you got access to the videos and then they were kind of just clipped up your individuals or you might just be given a, a bit of a game to watch or kind of sat down to watch parts of a game with the coaching staff. But it was very, very different to what it is now. Uh, like I said, I think in the last five, six, seven, eight, nine years, it, it's really come on and kind of developed in its own right. And obviously, the, the, the advances in technology and um, the kind of skill set that's required and how it's branched out and become almost kind of mini disciplines within it in terms of statistical analysis, data, kind of more of the, the tactical analysis side as well. So I think it's it's, it's very different to what it was. Um, I think it's developed a lot. I think it's probably continuing to develop in that way as well. I mean, you were chatting, in, I guess, uh, at Blackburn Rovers as an analyst, but your background was in coaching. So, I mean, first of all, did the coaching help you? Do you think in your approach to analysis? Uh, and secondly, did you did you see yourself going into analysis long term, or did you see yourself as a coach? I think when I initially sat there, I was kind of lucky enough to be at John Moore's, which is a really good um, football and science program um, it's obviously sports science but very specific to football in certain elements of it so we were kind of had access to the analysis tools that at the time probably not many too many programs had access to i think now it's very much more common that you, you have specific mscs and analysis but back then it was very much kind of part of the degree as opposed to its own discipline and 
we were lucky enough that we had links for certain places that we could kind of develop that skill set. So that led me to going into Blackburn. The initial conversation was around going in to do the analysis with the 16s, 18s, but obviously then it kind of built on there and ended up doing the, the culture with the 30s, just to kind of, one, because obviously that that was part of my interest as well and part of my skill set, but also it just made it more of a rounded role in the fact that I could work with the 13s, go in during the day, do the analysis throughout the day, then obviously take the session of the evening because it would have been an evening session with that age group. But I think in terms of how it's helped me as an, an analyst, I think having that ability to kind of understand what coaches are wanting and need and kind of being able to speak their language, so to speak, I think has helped me be able to kind of communicate the analysis side of things and kind of get those key messages that you see from that across to the coaches quite well and uh, be able to kind of translate that information into their language as such. Um, I think every coach is slightly different how they, they work with that information. So it's also kind of understanding that they might want that little bit of information at this part of the session or, or the part of kind of during the game or how it might work. So I think my kind of coaching background and knowledge has helped me with that. Um, I think it's helped me kind of have a, a rounded skill set around and also be able to, like I said, to communicate with the coaches. Uh, in terms of kind of the, the career direction, I think it was just it was job opportunities at the time kind of came up to, to delve more into the analysis route and it was something that I was really interested in, something that I was looking at kind of more and more and it just kind of went that way but I've always kind of had the coaching in the background helping me kind of with that skill sets I've always kind of looked to work with the coaches as much as possible and be as involved with them as much as possible as opposed to an analyst that might kind of sit back and try and stay in the office and work behind the computer behind the camera I've always tried to be as kind of hands-on and practical as possible and throughout that time kind of looked at making sure my skill set was kept up to date by doing the coaching badges kind of looking at kind of continuous development on that side as well as obviously the technical and the analysis side as well. Really interesting. Um, obviously, you you were over in Qatar when they were awarded the World Cup, correct? That's right, yeah. So, I mean, it'd be, first of all, it'd be first fascinating to hear what that was like as an experience of already working in football uh, when that happened. And, and then also for Qatar, which is you know, a developing nation in terms of football, um, how much did things change in the immediate aftermath? Uh, I remember the moment incredibly well. It was obviously the build-up to the decision was was dominated by the talk of all the countries that were kind of getting down to it and they're doing obviously the, the dual vote at the time. So it was two World Cups being announced at the same time. And we'd just come back off the pitch actually when they did the decision. So a big group of us were kind of congregated in one of the common areas because it's um, the way Aspire set up, it's also it's a school as well as a sports academy. So we were kind of coming back in through part of the, one of the dormitory areas and there's a big common room. There was a big crowd of us watching the decision on TV and it was an incredible feeling when it got awarded to think that the kind of work that they'd been putting in as a country to develop the game as much as they could had had taken them that far. Uh, Because the the vision they had from the kind of, from the very top of the kind of sports council and the the royal family was that they wanted to show off their nation in a football sense and they'd put a lot of time, a lot of money so they had some great visions. I mean, I don't know how much you know about Aspire, but it's an incredible facility. Um, it really is. It's it's one of the best of its kind, I think, in the world in terms of what it can offer and the facilities it has. It's obviously got its links with Aspire in terms of the sports hospital, which is obviously a FIFA accredited um, establishment as well. So it's it was kind of it was really exciting at the time to think, well, now that's been awarded. Where can we? Where we're going to go? Where we're going to take it? And it was just a real boost for everyone there that it was going to continue and it was going to continue to kind of kick on and develop and give especially the kind of the, the players we had in the academy at that time 
for them thinking that this World Cup's going to be in their prime as players because they were all of the age where the majority of the ones who we managed to get all the way through would be playing in that World Cup. And that's still the case now. It's, it's obviously a very small population in terms of um, player selection and talent pool available. So the players that are in Aspire are obviously the best in their age groups and they continue to move through the system. They're the players that were going to end up playing for the national team at that time. And up to now, it has kind of rang true that the players that won the Asian Cup under 19 are pretty much making up the bulk of the squad that won the Asian Cup at first team a couple of years ago. The coach came through Aspire, who was there at the time as well. So there's a real continuity across that. I think it just gave a real kind of positive boost to everyone involved that this is going to go somewhere and it's going to be a long-term project and it's kind of built on from there. Do you, do you think um, this is more than just you know, FIFA branching out into this part of the world and the fact that we, we could see Qatar as well, certainly um, a bigger football nation going forward? I mean, I know they're ranked something like I think 55th in, in the world right now, just behind the likes of Egypt, Scotland, Greece. So do you think that they're going to continue making strides as, as a nation? I think so, yeah. I mean, the sport mad. They absolutely love football over there. It's a huge thing for them. Um, they're, they're constantly looking at trying to bring events over, whether it be football or athletics or obviously the, the bid for the Olympics a couple of times. So they're, they're absolutely sport crazy and football sits at the top of that. So they just want to kind of showcase their kind of development as a nation, their development across the stadiums, the way the football team plays, everything. And they've made strides. Obviously, they're, they're probably a lot higher ranked than when I worked with them a few years ago. They've, they've really developed the last few years and a lot of that has come from the local talent that's come through Aspire. Uh, so obviously winning the Asian Cup was a huge moment for them. Uh, first time they've ever won that. So the fact that they won it with the under-19s and then a few years later won it with the senior team, I think shows that they are on the right path. I think now is obviously... A difficult turn to kick on again and go into that and it's obviously going to be the first World Cup so it will, it will be a massive challenge for them but they'll embrace that challenge and kind of want to showcase the stadiums but the stadiums would be incredible the the kind of technology and the architecture around the stadiums just looks incredible and I think it'll be a highlight of the World Cup itself would be the showing the world those stadiums there'll be challenges obviously the the size of the country and the kind of geography of it will make it tough I, I don't think the weather's an issue at that time of year but obviously the the size of the country hosting so many people will be the challenges they'll overcome, but they'll have a world's kind of wide expertise that will link into that. It won't kind of be kept so local. They'll, they'll branch out, they'll use consultants, they'll, they'll kind of look at what the World Cup in different countries have done and kind of take the the bits that they can then apply to their, their environment as well. So I think it'll be, it'll be an exciting World Cup and I think it'll be something that they've obviously been building to for such a long time to, I can't know exactly what year the decision came out, but it feels like it was a long time ago. And um, so they've had time to prepare, time to build, and time to kind of put everything together. And I think they'll just they'll be excited to get it going. And kind of that first match that kicks off, will be um, kind of acute an accumulate accumulation sorry of all the work that's gone into it over the last 10, 15 years there. So in your in your time working with the national team and the Olympic team, I mean, what were the the, the challenges? Um, doing analysis for international level compared to club level. And, and I wonder what sort of lessons you took from that experience to take into your, you know, the role that you have now. Yeah, I mean, the, a lot of the challenges were at times, you, especially with the under-23 Olympic team there, you'd be playing like qualification games or friendly games against nations that might not necessarily be easy to access footage for um, or get people to go and see them live. You, you're kind of talking some of the... Asia's such a, obviously a big continent that, 
you're playing teams that might not be as well established as others, so therefore getting access to footage, getting access to being able to see them was always a challenge. Less so with the the senior team, because obviously then you, it, it's much more readily available to be able to access footage and kind of put opposition reports and kind of scouting documents and video uh, playlists together for the coaching staff to kind of prepare for those games. I think the kind of building those profiles of those teams at the Olympic team was one of the biggest challenges in terms of trying to get as much information on players individually as well as the team could be a challenge. And then obviously trying to build it. And then I think one thing that helps with that, obviously you've got more time international football than you have with club football. So you have a bit more time to build deeper profiles on individuals, on teams and kind of look at what they've done. And when you come into play them, you've got probably a bit more time to review afterwards as well because you've probably got less, uh, sorry, more time before you play again. So I think it was a mix of kind of some things were, were quite challenging compared to club football. Some things were slightly easier. Uh, so, but it, it was all a learning experience and kind of living and working in such a different culture, I think really makes you appreciate how you communicate, which I think has been one of the biggest learning points for me is that you work in, especially when I work with Aspire, you're working for coaches from all over the world, not just obviously the local categories, but I think we had French, German, Spanish, Dutch, Brazilian. And we had staff from all over the world. So learning how they kind of talk and communicate and how they want to receive information, how they give information. And obviously the players, depending on how good their level of English was, how you would then present to them. I think it's kind of stood me in good stead in terms of moving forward. Obviously football is such a cosmopolitan sport, especially in the Premier League. I think having that skill set of learning how different cultures and people work and communicate has kind of stood me in good stead moving forward from that. So I'd say that was probably the biggest learning experience but I think overall it is a it's kind of going over there fairly young and quite fairly inexperienced working with so many different people and cultures and working across those levels of football has put me in a good place I think professionally and you, and you talk about you know delivering your content and you know, obviously you're at Wolves now um, and I wonder what differences there are in the way you see to deliver your content to the staff to the coaches and to the players uh, there's probably not huge differences in how it's presented. I think you always tailor how you deliver your analysis to the environment you're in. So that I think you initially you spend time learning about the players you're working with and the, the staff you're working with. And obviously that was the case when Nuno first came in. It was a learning curve on both sides. He came in with a really clear idea, a really clear way of playing. And he then worked incredibly hard to implement that with the players. And us as staff that were there, we had to kind of learn how we could fit into that we would then kind of show him what we could offer and then tailor that around how we could then work together as, as one club and I think the first few months of that are uh, a learning curve as you learn how they work they learn how you work and you kind of develop that from there I think in terms of what we're delivering in terms of the analysis it's obviously what you have available in terms of the software and the technology and your ease of access of footage and data etc would help kind of it kind of set your processes and how you would work and then it's just a case of kind of understanding individuals and units and groups of how you then deliver it so in when we we're in Qatar obviously the, the English language may have been an issue with certain age groups so we would make it incredibly visual it would be a lot of kind of video with annotations as opposed to trying to talk too much around it, it would be a case of showing examples of everything the, the documents will be quite visually in terms of the, the graphics and the images with other people, it might be a case that they prefer to be told and only shown a little bit. Others might just want to take it away themselves and watch it in their own time and then review later. Others want to sit down and talk about it at that time as you're handing it over. So it's, I think it's, a, it's important to learn and understand 
how you then fit into that process in terms of what you're delivering and linking it to how they like to have it, but also kind of working within the, the wider spectrum as well in terms of obviously if we've got a game Saturday, then Thursday, then Sunday, it's there's, a, there's time constraints within that. So it's a case of being able to provide the analysis in the quickest and best way possible for those players to then take it on board. So it could be a case of it gets uploaded to a, a web platform for them to take on board in the hotel or at home. It could be a case of a team meeting where you're providing things. It could be that you're, you're going into the coach's office and providing information and you're just having the, the conversation around what you're giving them then, then they take it away, maybe come back to you with follow-up questions and issues before it then obviously filters down to what the manager and players would want. So I think it's, it's that's the key thing is kind of understanding the individuals and the environment you're in and that kind of then helps you tailor the process as well. And do you get do you get a, a big say in sort of how that's delivered, or do you leave it uh, with the players, with the staff, and and they sort of dictate basically how they how they want to receive their analysis? It, it initially it was kind of obviously a, a two way conversation in terms of like this is what we have now as a club in terms of what we can present. They would then say, well, this is what we want, this is what we've had before, and we kind of look at developing a process that covers everything. So we obviously the, the manager and the players. Are, are, the end customers they're the ones who this is all geared towards obviously about getting those players ready to play the game and that comes from what the manager wants and how he wants to play in the game plan he's going to also it's all a case of kind of providing the information that can help him do that as best as possible and kind of giving them as much information but in the best like the most concise and best possible way so I think it's it's a little bit of both obviously it's um, ultimately led by the manager it's his call but we would have a fair bit of input in terms of how we would represent it and we have a good relationship with the backroom staff and the, with the, the assistant manager and the first team coaches that we can go to them and say look we've seen this we think this is relevant this is important and we would kind of present that to them and then they would then obviously use their expertise on the kind of coaching side to kind of maybe filter it down a bit more before it would go to the players so I think it's a little bit of both and um, there's a relationship there where we would probably go to the coaching staff and give our information to them and then certain stuff that might go to the players is maybe that kind of game the day before a game, but it's all kind of delivered within within that kind of spectrum of the the game plan, if you like. So it'd be great to um, to break down sort of, I mean, really what your working week looks like, and and then possibly go into the the, the process afterwards. But um, overall, what is a what does a standard week of Wolves look like for you? Um, depending on what stage of the season we're at, what kind of games we've got. But this this year, as everyone knows, we've had a lot of games, so it's been pretty hectic with travel with the Europa League and the games. But as kind of an analysis department, especially because my main focus is on kind of the pre-match and the opposition analysis and kind of preparing for the next game. We then have John who does the post-match and then we'll work together on game day. He'll then go away and do a bit of the post-match to, to review with the coaches then. And then I'll obviously be working on the next game. So we kind of work on a kind of like a sliding scale where if we play on a Saturday, for example, we don't have a midweek, we would be giving all our information at the start of that week ready for Saturday and we would then kind of just adding bits and tailoring it as we go through the week. But at the same time, I would be working on the opposition after that and then probably the one after that as well. And then as soon as we finish the game on the Saturday, then you're kind of handing over on the, the, the preparation for the next game and then obviously I'm starting the game after that. So you're almost working on a three or four game slide in scale and that game one is finished, game two is 75%, then 50%, 25%. You're continuously moving along that spectrum. So it's it's been pretty hectic this year where you're open league and travel and kind of making sure we can get everything we need to the, the staff and the players to make sure they're as prepared as possible. But we've got a, a good department that kind of all 
helps out when we need it and we've got a, a research and support analyst as well who'll do a lot of our database and kind of longitudinal things that then I can pull the bits out based on whoever we're playing that weekend for example so we've got I think a good setup in terms of a department and how it works and then that allows myself and John to kind of pull the bits out that we need making sure obviously then saves us a little bit of time as well that we can then kind of draw that information out from those databases and slot them into the pre-match documentation when we need to in the build-up to the game but it is pretty hectic in the um this season with Europa League obviously with away games and travel and coming back early hours of a Thursday night Friday Thursday night Friday morning to then play Sunday and then go again the following Thursday um it's tough for staff and players obviously the players have, have responded brilliantly they've um well, obviously the league table and the fact that we're still going in the Europa League if it does start again shows that I think they've all adapted incredibly well um, and they've all embraced everything they've been asked to do whether that's analysis medical sports science I think as a club of kind of, of players they've, they've really embraced everything they've been asked to do So when you're doing your your pre-match work your opposition analysis um, how much emphasis do you put on identifying a team's strengths compared to identifying their weaknesses? Is it, is it really sort of a 50-50 thing or do you prefer to look at weaknesses, for example? We're quite consistent in how we play. Um, so we, we set up in a fairly similar way regardless of the opposition. Obviously, we'll tweak it based on what we think their strengths and weaknesses are. So we're quite structured um, in terms of what we do. So we, we're probably a fairly even split in terms of the analysis and looking at what we, how we think they will hurt us and also how we think we can hurt them. And we don't tend to overemphasize one side or the other. Obviously, it depends on the, the strength of the opposition you're playing um, and where we think that they're going to be strong and what we think they're going to do. So like a, a big part of the week for me would be kind of trying to predict who's going to play in terms of individuals within their team and how they're going to play in terms of shape. Um, look, I'm lucky that we've got a very consistent way of playing as a team. So I'm not trying to second guess how we're going to play and then linking it so I can kind of look at a team in the build-up to us playing them in the kind of three, four, five games, plus obviously the kind of longitudinal data that we use as well and kind of say, look, this is how I think they've played against teams that play similar to us. These are examples of that in terms of video and data. So these are the strengths that they might bring. These are the individuals within that that could be a threat and then obviously vice versa on the weaknesses. This is where we think we can hurt them these are the individuals we think we can target to kind of get success from. So I think it's probably a fairly even kind of split between looking at how they hurt us and how we can then kind of exploit their weaknesses as well. And obviously tailored into that would become a little bit of detail around individuals that we think will definitely play and obviously a bit more detail around players that are obviously squad-based as well. So we kind of cover obviously as many bases as we possibly can because there's always a curveball comes and when team sheet comes in that the opposition manager might have changed shape or changed personnel or someone maybe pulled out the night before that we weren't aware of, for example. So we try and make sure we're kind of prepared for almost any eventuality come um, team sheets released on match day. So, I mean, you, you touched on it there. When you're coming up against teams that are perhaps more unstructured than you or at least, you know, use tactical flexibility um are you looking to to do both looking at how they play against teams who play similarly to you as well as what they've done recently or would you just go and look at the teams that they've played that are that are similar to you no we'd, we'd look at what they've done most recently um because obviously personnel could have changed since it's a bit what we do we kind of we'll visualize every lineup they've had against the, the shape that they've played so we can very quickly go to a game 
where they've played against a similar shape to us, but that may not have been for a couple of months. And some players could have been injured since then or come back from injury. So it could that could be the reason they've changed that shape. The change of shape since then might have been because they've had a bad run of results, for example. So they're trying to kind of chop and change and work out what shape suits them best. Um, so we do look at kind of whether there's a trend, whether they play the same shape against similar shapes to us or whether they stick to the same, same shape regardless or whether they're just a team that chops and changes week to week and changes personnel. So we'll kind of focus on the most recent ones and then we'll look back and try and find some relevant games and see if there's anything that stands out in those that would indicate why they've done what they did. Um, so we're kind of looking, obviously, the, the recent stuff to see, obviously, the players that are involved, how are they playing, why, what they're doing. But then if they haven't played anyone similar to us in that build-up, we will go back a little bit further just to kind of cross-reference against that to see if we can figure out why they've done what they did and why they might not be doing it anymore. So it's a, it's a little bit of both. Um, we wouldn't discount, obviously, the recent games, but we would also make sure we've kind of covered the the, the kind of lineups and their shapes across the season as well. Would you would you say that that takes up mo- like most of your analysis and looking at the lineups and the shape? It takes up a fair chunk. I mean, again, we're lucky enough that we've got the staff to kind of help out with that. So our research SWOT analyst, well, he's kind of responsible for keeping that database. So he will database all the kind of opposition lineups in terms of what shape they started with, the start shape of the opposition, plus the lineup of that team. So it's very easy for me to kind of then dip into that and say, right, when they last played against three at the back, this was the personnel, this was the, the kind of shape they played. Um, so it's, it is one of the main focuses because one of the key parts for us is to try and predict what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. So it's quite important to look at the shape and their style of play within that. So if there is certain elements of their kind of playing style against three at the back, then it's it's important that we know as best we can as to why they've done that. And then also we can try and nullify or exploit certain things around it. So it's, it is probably the main part in terms of us looking at how we think the team's going to play. And then obviously it's about breaking it down and presenting that in various ways to the to the coaching staff to back that up as well with as much evidence as we can in terms of delivering video and kind of database and of the longitudinal stat side of it as well to say, look, this is what we think they're going to do and this is why. And then there's some examples of it for you to kind of look at as well. And obviously they've got opinions on teams as well. They obviously watch a lot of the, the games themselves. They'll have opinions of why certain players. So it becomes then a, a two-way conversation that, look, I think they're going to do this because of this. Okay, what have you thought about that? And how do they do that? And then that might kind of create a little bit of a follow-up in the, the build-up to the game as well. How, how have you found in your analysis career so far um, sort of overarching attitude that coaches have towards analysis do you find that they just want any help they can get or do you feel that sometimes there is a resistance uh, maybe an instinct to trust their own views i think it's majority that i've worked with have been really positive towards it and will kind of take it and say look yeah that's that's what i want that's kind of helps me it's whether it always kind of backs up what they're thinking is not always the case but they're quite open to it obviously that i've come across one or two that are a bit more resistant and just kind of want it to back up their opinion, even if it's not necessarily doing that. So it becomes a bit more of a challenge. Um, but I would say that the majority that I've come across are pretty positive. I think a lot of the the coaches now are a lot more kind of attuned to it and kind of understand how it the, the technology side and kind of the, the way it can work in terms of analysis can help them as well. Obviously, there's still probably a few that kind of trust their eyes more than kind of maybe the, the analysis side. But 
ultimately a lot of the managers at the highest level have got there because they're very, very good at what they do and their, their observation skills within the game are very good. So it's almost a case that we're trying to provide evidence to them to obviously to support their decision making, to show the examples of things for them to be able to show examples of what they're seeing to players, but also at times to kind of challenge those things if it might not necessarily be true. Because um, obviously I've worked with some coaches that develop opinions about individual players, for example, that might be more because of their own personal feelings around it. So it might be a case of saying, well, actually, you're saying that about this player, but we've been doing analysis on our own players over a long period of time and it's telling me this. Uh, it might not necessarily be the same. So there's times where it can be a challenge how you present things like that. But luckily, for, I've been quite lucky that the majority of the, the coaches and managers I've worked with are pretty open to it and, and kind of embrace it and see it as a as a positive regardless of whether it's it's always the same as what their kind of opinion is or not. How have you found, I mean, I'm interested to hear your sort of uh, pre-match analysis, how that impacts coaching uh, on the training ground leading up to a game. Do you see uh, coaches that to apply a lot of the things that you've highlighted or is it more something where the coach will have that in mind and will sort of deal with it as of when it happens? Um I think it it depends on almost how confident you are with the opposition. I'm, I'm trying, obviously we've come across teams before, especially working with like kind of the, the Qatar Olympic team and national team. Is you're coming up against teams that don't necessarily play that often, and obviously players can chop and change. So you kind of you, you obviously trying to predict as best you can and show the evidence of what you think they're going to do. But I think well, sometimes if the coach goes too far with kind of trying to coach against that as in terms of setting up a team to play against it and then there's a change that the players can get thrown off a little bit so I think it's important that the team has a sort of structure and a playing style that is then maybe tweaked a little bit based around the opposition strengths and weaknesses as opposed to wholesale changes based around that so I think it's quite difficult sometimes that depending on how much access to information and kind of video you've got to be really confident on what they're going to do so I if you're saying to a coach, oh, I think they're going to do this, they're going to do this, and then they go, okay, that's all we're going to do in training, you can sometimes get caught out. So I think the coach has to understand that you're providing information to kind of as an educated guess of, of what you think they're going to do. And then you've obviously got to build your principles of play around that to some extent. But in terms of it really impacting on the training pitch, obviously you're, you're setting teams up in terms of your, when you're playing your, your build-up games and training towards the, the game on the Saturday, you're, obviously you're trying to set the opposition up how you think they're going to play. So you're saying the analysis is showing that they're really strong down one side when this individual plays. That will probably be reflected in training and that we'll make sure we understand how we're going to defend against that. Or the analysis is showing that a team's conceding a high number of goals and crosses. It might be something that we spend a little bit more time focusing on. So those kind of elements would come out on the training pitch from the analysis. I think it, there is a danger that you could almost over-rely on it at times. Um, so I think it's important that especially the the teams that maybe we've come up early in the season in the Europa League, for example, that they'll probably change how they play because of who they're playing, especially on, like Crusaders, for example, will change how they normally play because they're playing a Premier League club. So it's, it's one of those I think you've got to understand whether you think the opposition will change drastically from what you've seen in the build-up because of who they're playing. Therefore, your coaching might not necessarily reflect what the analysis is saying because you, you've got an understanding that they're probably going to change. 
Um, so I think it's there's elements of that that sometimes it will have a bigger impact on the coaching pitch some weeks than others, depending on kind of the, the opposition you're going to come up against. When you're watching these teams, um, are you purely watching them, you know, using video or um, do you ever get to go out and, and watch them live or do you watch your own training live to, to get an idea? Is everything you do through the screen? No, we're, we're a mix. So obviously the, the schedule will dictate whether I personally can get out to watch opposition live. Um, if it does open up a window where I can go and watch the game, I will. Um, I do quite enjoy doing that because it, it is quite rare just because of the I do our games as well. So it, it's slightly different in the Premier League to when it was championships. Obviously, championship games are a lot more there all the kickoffs at this time. So it's, it's quite difficult. We have our head of analysis will go out and watch the, the last game before we play them live. And then we have a scout who will watch the second last game. So we do get live reports. For me personally, if I, if I can go, I will. Um, but it is quite difficult to do that. But I do think you, you do benefit from seeing teams live. Um, you, you sometimes get an appreciation of kind of players' personalities better when you watch them live and kind of body language and communication that you might not necessarily pick up on video. But we'll always cross-reference those live match reports against what I'm seeing on the video as well. Um, previous roles, obviously, it was, a, it was a little bit easier to do, so in it, especially in international football. So I would... Uh, be part of the staff that would go out and watch opposition so we would have trips um, to go and watch them so obviously when you're working with kind of qualification periods you, you're traveling around so you would go maybe to three or four games in one block and a coach would go to a different set of games I would go to one set so it was a case that we would all kind of go out and then kind of come back in the office and kind of compare and then I would be linking the reports to the video from that but I think it is quite important to see games live if possible uh, in terms of watching training I'll get out as much as I possibly can depending obviously what the workload is whether we've got two games that week two games the following week etc but I always try and go out the day before the game and the kind of second um, last day before the game because that's obviously when the the training starts becoming really focused around the opposition so I think that that's quite important that as an analyst especially when you're working around the opposition analysis that you understand what your team's going to do so understanding how we play and what we're trying to do and what the kind of principles of our play are. So I think it's difficult to do that if you don't see the training sometimes. I think it's, it is quite useful to be out. So I'll always try and get out and watch, like I said, at least if we play Saturday, get out Friday and try and get out Thursday as well, workload depending. So I think that is quite important. Do you, I mean, if, if you had, uh, so what one thing I picked up on there is, is you sort of cross-referencing what you've seen. So anytime you see sort of a pattern of play or something that you notice, I presume, I mean, how, how many games would you go back to watch to see if that is something that is recurrent? We, we'll try and do, obviously, the three to five most recent on video. And then if we need to go back to kind of look at, maybe there was one that they played a similar shape to us six or seven games ago, we might go and reference that as well. But obviously, given, given the Premier League as well this year, that it's obviously you see a lot of it, so you understand how teams play and what they're doing. And we monitor the lineups. We kind of look at the longitudinal stats. We're lucky enough that we have... Um, contracts with data providers that we can look at across the season that kind of you could almost use to look at playing styles and how they've done it so we kind of use a combination um so obviously we're looking at lineups against certain shapes how they then play the personnel within that who comes on who goes off that kind of side of it who's starting games we will we'll track a team's kind of um appearance numbers and stats that side as well so we build we start building up an idea of who the regulars are who's the regulars off the bench, how that then kind of fits against certain shapes. So it's it's a mix of looking at 
the videos in detail, which we'll always try and pick out the, the most relevant recent games. But as I said, we might go back a little bit further if we feel that we don't have enough against a certain style. You might play, you come up against a team that don't haven't played anyone who's played like us. It's fairly rare, but it might happen. So then you're just trying to kind of look at what they do well and what they don't do well and how we could then exploit it despite the opposition might not be able to do that. So certain spaces might open up that would suit us, but the team that they're playing might not be able to exploit it because of how they're doing it. So we we'll, we would still highlight those things and say, look, if they do that against us, this will open up an opportunity. So it's a case of kind of always matching what we're presenting in terms of the opposition analysis to how we, we play and the kind of principles we have. Um, so it's a case of, of kind of looking at that, but also we would monitor across the season, but it might not necessarily be all video. So we would use some of the, the data as well to kind of say, well, playing style in terms of how they press or the, the speed, the kind of speed of play, how quickly they move the ball from back to front, etc., to get an idea of what they're doing as well. Well, um, what are your opinions on on the trade off between video and data analysis? How much uh, do you pay attention towards the data, and how much do you find the coaches want to see the data over the video? I think the majority of coaches that I've worked with are, are very video orientated. I think that's how they prefer to have the information it, it, it's sometimes a case of okay there's the video this is what happened and then you might just be kind of given a few more key points that you know is backed up by the data without actually showing them the data so there's it, it's evidence-based as opposed to just to an opinion that's coming across but i wouldn't necessarily present data to, to coaches and managers unless they really want it and have a, a good understanding of how it works obviously certain elements of the data analysis can be kind of twisted and tweaked to suit certain narratives or you might kind of look at something and it's it, it can be taken out of context at times. So I think it's one of those that you've got to be quite careful how you use it. I think it can be quite a, a powerful tool in providing some evidence over longer periods of time very quickly. So if you're looking at kind of trends of play across a, a number of games or a season or under certain managers, that you can do that with data. But I think you've got to take it sometimes with a pinch of salt in terms of the context can be quite difficult to place if you're just using data. So we try and we're predominantly video based, uh, but we do use quite a lot of data to kind of try and just provide that extra layer underneath the video as well. Um, and we use it in different ways in different departments. So we use it in slightly different ways, but we, we have access to it and we are utilizing it um, to help support what we do. But ultimately I think the coaches and the managers that I've worked with do prefer to have video and kind of receive their information that way. And you might just kind of put some key points that come out of the data without overcomplicating how it's presented. So we um, would present probably a lot of video and then a pre-match document that would obviously highlight some of the key points and some of that would incorporate the data we've seen. But I think the skill set of the analyst then is to make sure you're picking out those key points and making them really concise. Um, unless the coach is showing that they, they prefer to have more data in their reports. So again, that's where your kind of relationship building and your understanding of how they work and what they want comes in. The um, what, what what analysis tools do do you find helpful? That are perhaps is there anything that you use, um, Matt, that is perhaps less less well known that maybe other people wouldn't be aware of that you find particularly helpful, or do you just stick to the standard sort of wide scale in stat coach pain whatever? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think what you use is that important. It's more how you use it. So obviously, in especially in the Premier League, everyone's got access to very, very similar tools. 
um, and it's in how you utilize them within your environment that can make the difference. So we're, we're, we've obviously got the contracts with all the major kind of providers that the Premier League clubs have access to. And we're lucky enough in the Premier League that a good number of those are kind of provided from the Premier League. So we're lucky that we the, the film is provided for us. So we have access to the angles um, from the, the wide angle of the TV, the behind the goals, etc. So we have access to those, which is the same for the Premier League clubs. We have access to the Y Scout and kind of data providers and that kind of stuff. It's I, I wouldn't want to say that there's anything that we're kind of using that others might not be because um, then they might start using it as well. But I think it's, it's how you use it and how you utilize those things. Um, we're constantly looking at what's coming next. I think that's quite important for us in terms of the technology and the softwares and what might be used next in kind of six, 12 months. So the way our department structures is that we have a head of department that sits away from the team a little bit. So he's able to have the time to kind of go out and meet companies and speak to kind of developers and say, look, this is what's coming next. We think this could be useful for us. Can we work with you over a little period of time and see what we can do? And at some point, those will bear fruition and we kind of maybe start using something that other people are not. And hopefully we can kind of gain an advantage from that. Um, I think it's, it's sometimes difficult when you, especially in kind of senior football, is that you get bogged down with the, the, the games and then training and the games and then training. And you, you just use what you have without actually looking at what might be better um, just because of the time constraints. And we're lucky that we have the staff that can kind of help us do that. And he would then come in and say, look, I think we need to look at this because I think this is going to be really good in six months. And let's have a look at how we could potentially use this side of things or how can we incorporate this into what we do to make it better. So. I think that's the biggest challenge is not necessarily what you do, it's how you use them. Um, and it's also then kind of keeping ahead of the game as much as you can in terms of what you think's coming in the future that would help make what you do better and help you work with those coaches and players and, and again, that competitive advantage as much as possible. I think the, the, the last thing that I'd, I'd really like to ask you, Matt, is, is there any advice that you wish that you'd had at the beginning of this journey, particularly as an analyst? Not necessarily advice that I've been given. I think it's, it's one of those things that I think now, when I started, it was quite a broad spectrum and you kind of would have an, one analyst who would cover everything. Um, so I think now if you are going into analysis, you, there's so many different strands of it now that you almost say, well, I want to specialise in data or I want to specialise in the tactical football side of it or I want to kind of do recruitment analysis or technical analysis, that kind of stuff. So I think, now you almost kind of want to understand the route you want to take as early as possible. Because I think being able to specialize in those areas, because there's so many tools that are becoming specific to those strands of analysis that you need to become an expert in to really move forward within those. Whereas I think going back 10, 15 years, it was a case of, right, okay, you can use a laptop, you can use a camera, you understand a bit about football, you can be the, the analyst. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think you need a, a much more in-depth knowledge and skill set of the kind of area of analysis you want to work in. So I think if you I kind of good advice to someone who's looking at starting out, it's a case of try and understand as early as possible which element of analysis you want to become an expert in and really develop that. I think it's it's difficult to become an expert in all of them now. So I think one thing we've been really good at as a club is that we've got staff in the analysis department who have different skill sets. So we complement each other really well. Um, I think it's difficult to be uh, a data analyst plus a tactical analyst plus recruitment plus youth analyst or whatever you might else you might do. So I think it's really almost 
having your broad skill set obviously helps in terms of starting out and working with as many different people in as many different places as possible to gain the experience and the knowledge and then really start to think how you want to work and filter it down and say, right, this is the skill set I need to do that. Whether it's learning Tableau or Power BI or whether it's kind of developing your coaching knowledge to work in terms of the pre-match and tactical or like watching games from a tactical sense and kind of looking at how you would present and do pre and post-match or whether I say it's recruitment or more technical analysis. I think is is getting more and more important these days. Brilliant. Th- thank you so much for uh, all your insights today. I mean, there's so much here to unpack, and it will definitely uh, require repeat listens to really sort of take on board all this information. But um, thank you so much for for coming on and uh, getting involved in this. Matt, I really appreciate your time. So thank you. No problem. Again, thanks for having me on. Brilliant. Um, and I guess yeah, thank you very much for listening, and um, we'll see you next time.